Hello, my name is John Stringfellow, and you're listening to No Strangers Here on 88.5 FM, WCUG, Cougar Radio. Good morning, and hello to everyone, or perhaps good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, As usual, we will continue our sort of chronological continuity uh, in terms of reading poetry following within each respective century. Uh, And so for this one, I thought it was only proper that we should consider John Milton. He's most famously known for uh, his epic known as Paradise Lost. Uh, But a lot of people tend to forget or not consider uh, some of his other works, his other poems that he published during his lifetime and posthumously. And so for this poem, uh, I thought it was intriguing that we should talk about age in terms of generations. And, and most recently, we've seen not only within our current media, uh, where millennials and Gen Zers or Zoomers <laughs> are sort of butting heads over difference of opinion, uh, but this is something that we've seen consistent within uh history where the previous generation believes in a certain set of beliefs and then the next generation uh, may be more progressive uh, or maybe even more conservative than the previous uh, and then fights against you know the, the older generation and so there's a interesting dynamic there um, that sometimes get, becomes overwhelming uh, but sometimes also it can be rather futile And so I felt that it was only proper due to what we're seeing currently in the media uh, of people blowing up out of proportions on certain issues uh, that really, you know, can be more or less uh, not important, uh, such as fashion uh, opinions or what's cool and what's not cool. And so I felt that this poem had a little bit to do with that uh, in relation, uh, but it also seems, again, which seems to be a theme within this radio show, uh, a lot to do with the self and self-image. Uh, and so I will be reciting for you, I Did But Prompt the Age by John Milton. I did but prompt the age to quit their clogs, but the, the known rules of ancient liberty and straight a barbarous noise environs me of owls and cuckoos, asses, apes, and dogs. As when those hinds that were transformed to frogs railed at Lano's twin-born prodigy, which after held the sun and moon in fee. But this is got by casting pearls to hogs that bawl for freedom to their senseless mood and still revolt when truth would set them free. License they mean when they cry liberty. For who loves the most first be wise and good? But from that mark, how far they rove we see for all this waste of wealth and loss of blood. So that's a that's an interesting poem, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, interesting in terms of rhyming, uh, especially for me. It's got this very strange sort of 
how can I say, other than it, it doesn't feel like it's rhymed correctly. It feels a bit off, almost. Uh, but upon further inspection, it is it is correctly uh, placed out. Uh, it just it just it's designed in such a way to feel kind of off, uh, which I think may add actually to the overall message of the poem that things don't always feel right, that something feels amiss. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to immediately look into uh, is Milton's use of animals, the representation of animals within this poem. Uh, here we hear when he writes, when straight a barbarous noise environs me, of owls and cuckoos, asses, apes, and dogs. And as when those hides that were transformed to frogs railed at Latona's twin-born prodigy. So, what, what all does that mean, essentially? Why was he using specifically cuckoos, donkeys, uh, apes, like gorillas, and dogs, specifically? Why those animals? What do those animals represent? Um, do they have a connection between each other? Is there an underlying uh, message from each one that all combined contribute towards the poem? And so I feel that, for me personally, that each of these animals have something to contribute uh, in terms of what they're known for. Uh, we know cuckoos can be... Uh, rather loud and they can mimic the sounds of others uh, we also associate cuckoos uh, as saying someone as being cuckoo uh, someone as being crazy or out of mind um, as for asses or donkeys in this case we know donkeys can be rather stubborn uh, but they, they, they in that they can sort of be a very independent animal uh, they're not they're not very easy to tame uh, in terms of getting them to work or getting them to follow along uh, apes are very large animals they're very uh, aggressive animals uh, we, we know that apes in the wild at least uh, have a sort of hierarchy system um, and just by looking if you ever see a nature documentary if you ever have the a uh, wonderful observation of, of an ape in the wild. Uh, we can see that apes have this very strong-willed sort of hidden rules almost. There, there's some sort of society there that, that exists that isn't immediately present to an onlooker. And, and as for dogs, dogs are known to be not only good companions, uh, but on their own, if you ever see wild dogs, or coyotes, wolves, uh, they hunt in packs, uh, and they can be rather dangerous or vicious at times. So I think that each of these animals has something to contribute in terms of what they're associated with. Um, as for owls, owls are usually typically... Uh, we usually think of owls as being wise, being old as they're depicted within you know media whether it's 
in films, whether it's in books. Um, we also know owls to be nighttime predators. Uh, they're silent and they, they, they don't make a sound when they're hunting. So I think, I think each of these animals has something to contribute in terms of what, I don't want to say powers, but their abilities. But when Milton mentions all of these am- animals, it's almost as though he designates them all to just one kind. Um, after he lists them off, he then follows with, as when those hides, they were transformed to frogs. So we know frogs as to being very slimy, <laughs> uh, or at least have a mucus to them. We know them they, they can be loud. Uh, they're jumpy, uh, but but they're not necessarily outwardly friendly, so to say. It's it's not, at least in my experience, it hasn't been typical that a frog will just casually come up to a person um, and you know hop along with them, <laughs> unless it's Kermit the Frog we're talking about. So when, when Milton mentions the hides, it's almost as if he's talking about the animal skins, uh, mentioning, you know, the fur or the feathers of those animals. Uh, and it feels as though he's saying that the hides are sort of a cape, almost, something that is uh, hiding uh, or, or something that is concealing what's on the inside. And from what it sounds like Milton is saying that the frogs are being hidden within the hides of owls, cuckoos, donkeys, apes, and dogs. And so we see that these frogs are railed at Latona's twin-born prodigy. Uh, and we, we, we know that that is related to perhaps a fictional story, a fairy tale perhaps, in which the frogs may be symbolic of the transgressions that occur in that story. But nevertheless, we understand that this is something where we see a smaller force uh, trying to attack or make an impression upon a larger force. And from this, we continue on with this representation of animals. We see that Milton mentions, uh, which after held the sun and moon and fee, but this is got by casting pearls to hogs. Um, so, what does that mean necessarily? Uh, what you know, which altar held the sun and moon and fee? So the old association of the word fee, the old definition, means to be of possession. So it could be said that the actions occurring um, that Milton is describing um, are held in possession of the sun or that we possess the sun and moon. Uh, but we know the sun and moon to be large forces. These aren't, these aren't something that can be controlled. You know, this, we can't manipulate the sun or the moon to do what it is that we're wanting. So these are forces that are out of our control here. 
So it's interesting to imagine that we could possibly control forces larger than ourselves. And I think that's something that Milton's trying to touch upon is that the smaller side of things is trying to take control of something much larger than themselves. Something that could be considered astronomically larger, in this case, with the sun and moon. Um, but when Milton mentions this, he also mentions about how futile it is uh, by, by writing, but this is got by casting pearls to hogs. Casting pearls to hogs. So, for me at least, upon reading this and interpreting it, it sounds as though Milton is saying that this is for, for to trying to control and change everything to our own personal desires is just as good as trying to throw a, a necklace of pearls to pigs. Which, what does that accomplish? It doesn't really accomplish anything other than perhaps these hogs look rather goofy with pearl necklaces. <laughs> um, of course, this could also be seen as maybe perhaps a commentary on terms of society and class. Um, more often than not, you will see pigs being the, the symbol of um, people on the higher end of society. Um, I know you can look through catalogs of songs such as perhaps the Beatles where um, pigs are used as a way to describe people who are well off. Um, we also understand in animal form that pigs are repre represent um, intelligence uh, and that they represent the metaphorical leaders. Uh, or excuse me, they are the symbols of the leaders during the Bolshevik Revolution. And so I, I suppose, being that this poem so old that it is, Milton here isn't necessarily trying to get at the idea that pigs are what we know of them today, of course. Um, they have an older meaning. But I think what he's trying to say here is that if you're trying to change something so large and so big, and you being ever so small, um, that it's a it's a exercise in futility, um, and that could be meaning as though you can't do it alone. It's something that you, not only one person can do, um, or or that the change that's trying to occur may not always be the best way forward. In a way, you have to consider the consequences of that change when it is occurring. Um, and you also have to realize there are certain things that just can't be changed. Um, but even though something can't be changed, that doesn't mean necessarily you have to follow in accordance to it. Um, change occurs because we attempt to alter what we've seen. We say what we've seen is wrong, or we say what we've seen could be done better, and we work towards the idea of how we can change that for the better. But everyone's different. Everyone has a difference of opinion. Everyone has different thoughts and beliefs. And because of that, not everyone is going to be willing to change, or everyone's not going to be willing to follow along in terms of change. There 
are certain things that people feel comfortable with. There are certain things that people feel um, right about. And just because you may feel that those people are wrong doesn't necessarily mean that gives you the right to change how they believe or how they think. And that can be seen in multiple forms of media, in multiple forms and angles of our society. It would be like if I were to come up to somebody who thought that, uh, say, perhaps a really cheesy movie is one of the best movies of all time. If that was their thought and opinion, and I came up to them and said, no, you're wrong, you know, what, what right do I have to say that that person's wrong for believing that this movie is in fact the best movie ever made? Granted that that's a very small, minuscule representation of what I think Milton's trying to hint at, but nevertheless, I think it still uses the same sort of exercise that Milton is expressing here. Uh, that some things can't be changed, and that some things, when change does occur, doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree. Doesn't mean that it's wrong to bring about change. In fact, change is usually sought after in everything that we do as a society. Change occurs naturally, if anything. But that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to be willing to jump aboard. And we shouldn't feel that we have to persecute people or downplay people who are not so willing or people who just don't understand. But later on in the poem, Milton expresses the ball for freedom in their senseless mood and still revolt when truth would set them free. License, they mean when they cry liberty, for who loves that must first be wise and good. But from that mark, how far they rove we see for all this waste of wealth and loss of blood. So again, it, it seems that Milton is expressing more of the futility um, it sounds as though he's describing a group of people who are trying to make a change, but from Milton's perspective, it feels that they're either not going far enough or that the change they seek isn't really going to be the solution to their problems. Um, for example, war. War is, has been a catastrophe that has plagued humanity since the very beginning of time. Uh, and it, it is, time and time again, it's proven to be an evil that seems to be something we can't really shake away from. Um, we've cried for peace, we've cried for liberty, we've cried for a better, brighter future, but it just seems that no matter what we do, war, some way, somehow, always keeps to reoccur. Um, it just goes by a different name, it just goes by a different means, uh, but it, it keeps on coming back for somehow, for some reason. And so, more often than not, when war does occur, you have people on different sides who believe in difference and who aren't going to agree and then resort to violence to settle these issues. And that's... That's so unfortunate. Um, war has been the cause for the loss of loved ones. Uh, war has been the cause of the, the destruction of the individual. 
and it seems that war continues to happen. Whether it's a full-scale combat war, whether it's an internal affair between different groups, different sections of society, uh, or whether it's a war within your own household, it, it seems to tear at the hearts and minds of people, um, and it continues to do so. And so what I think Milton's trying to say here is that he's not degrading the idea of change. He's not saying that people are wrong for seeking change. But I think what he's trying to say is that the way we go about change is very violent at times. And it can be incredibly aggressive depending on what it is you're, you're fighting for. You're not, it's not wrong to seek change. It's not wrong to fight for something that is meaningful to you and fight for something that would benefit society. But that doesn't necessarily mean that change has to be done in an overly aggressive manner. You can still find change and seek change through peaceful means, through means of understanding. Um, and I think that's what Milton's trying to express here is that you have these people who try to make change enforce it. You know, they're trying to push the button so hard to the way to the point where the button can't come undone and at that point it's already too late you get people who become very polarized uh, people who over exaggerate and make make it a mountain out of a molehill and again that isn't to say that issues aren't important or issues aren't nearly as big enough that's to say that there are ways to go about fixing a problem and to amend a problem ways that won't hurt and ways that won't cause others to feel badly about themselves because when you have war or when you have aggressive difference of opinions, not only are you hurting the person you're, you're, you're arguing with, but eventually you hurt yourself in the long run. Whether it's a day later, a week later, a year later, a decade later, eventually it comes back around to you and you realize what you said what you did and the ways you went about doing it were hurtful and so that's what I think Milton's trying to say is that when seeking out the easiest solution it usually tends to lead to aggression or violence and that way of trying to solve a problem is is not the best way and it just leads to nothing. It doesn't really solve anything when you try to solve a solution by violent force. Because in the end, as Milton says, for all this waste of wealth and loss of blood, in the end, that's all that happens. People get hurt, people die, and a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money is dispersed 
and goes into the pockets of others. And so, I don't mean to make this particular episode a sad one, and I don't mean to make this particular episode one that causes anyone to feel... Well, causes anyone to feel depressed or angry. But I feel that what Milton's trying to say here is... Is that change can occur by peaceful means, and that there are better ways to make our lives better. And to me, that feels like a message of hope. A message that humanity has had mistakes time and time again. Ones that we've caused, ones that have occurred to us. But we can be better, we can do better, and we can cause a better, brighter future. And lead the next generation, and lead... Um, the world into a future that we feel good, safe, and comfortable with. So I hope that was the message that can be taken away from this, is that there is a better, brighter future, and there is still hope in the world, even when it feels like the world is about to break, um, and it feels as if though all sides are fighting and arguing against each other. there is a better a better day to come and that is all for this episode for now uh, next episode we'll be covering a course uh, I'm thinking of going going ahead and going into the mid 18th century um, just to keep the ball rolling you know and I think next episode I'll try to do a more lighter uh, more easy topic <laughs> instead of something so harsh or so deep um, or something so blunt <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening and I hope you all have a good day thank you to Columbus State's comm department for the space and equipment provided for the show thank you to Dr. Gibson the department chair thank you to Dr. Getz WCUG's faculty advisor uh, you can listen to this show on 88.5 FM Cougar Radio tune in or SoundCloud Thank you for listening.